Without him giving you that measure of faith, the measure of faith he's talking about, without him giving you that measure of faith, I might as well be talking to you about the Easter Bunny today. Does that make sense? Because I can be telling you about this God who lives off in heaven and he created and he scraped up some dirt and he blew into it and a man got up and muscles and tendons and bones formed and a man got up and walked away. Could I convince you of that with my knowledge and my words? Absolutely not. You would think I was a madman. But it's because the Spirit comes to convict and to what? Convince. Convince. He's the one that convinces us. He gives us that measure of faith when he convinces us that God is the one true living God, right? And that faith, so then your faith is God-given. Your salvation is God-given. Amen. Follow me so far? Are you tracking with me? He gave us the faith. He gave us the salvation. James 2 and 7 says, or 2.17, I'm sorry to say, if you write it down, write it down. James 2.17 says, faith without works is dead. Is dead. dead. Some of you help me out here today. Faith without works is dead. So Paul and James seem to be contradicting each other, right? When Paul right to the Ephesians says, says your salvation is a gift. You don't earn a gift, do you? If I give you a gift, I don't say, now pay me for it. You got to earn that thing. When I give you a gift, it's free. It's yours. All you got to do is unwrap the gift and whatever's inside the box is yours. It's free. So isn't that what Paul's saying? But then James says, faith without works is dead. So you've got to have the faith that God gives us. We've got to have the salvation that God gives us. But we've got to do something with it. Isn't that what they're saying here? What the two others are saying here. So it seems to be contradiction, but they're not contradicting each other at all. If we go back and read James 2, 17 through 20, says this. Thus also faith by itself, if, the, if it does not have works, is dead. He says at one time right here, right? I just quoted it for you. Faith without works is dead. And, and 18 says this. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see, something has to change. Something must change when you have faith. When you have your salvation, your life must change. Things begin to happen that, that make you look different. He'll show you his faith by his works. And 19 says this. Here's why we know that there must be change. You believe that there is one God. You all believe that, right? Everybody here believes there is one God? Even the demons believe and tremble. Even the demons believe there is one God. Even the demons have faith. Where's faith come from? God-given, right? Even the demons, even God's given demons, the faith to know that he's the one God. You see the difference? There's no change. In a demon, do we want to live that way? And that kind of life? I'm going somewhere with this right here. To say, oh, me. So there must be a change. And then he goes on to say this. Even the demons believe that. But do you want do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? He says it again. Faith, he tells you two if I'm telling you something two times, I really want you to remember that, right? Your faith that God's given you, God gave you that measure of faith. If you don't do something with it, it's as good as dead. You're in the same position that the demon's in. If you don't do something with that faith, right? So faith without works is dead, he says. Sometimes we try to make this so complex that we try to make it so complicated and we just need to get back to the basics. We understand the basics. We have a good head knowledge of the basics. Most of us who've been here very long at all, we have a good head knowledge of the basics. But what about doing the basics? How about doing the basics? Taking God's word and applying it. If you'll take God's word and apply it to your life, it will change your life. It will change your life completely. It will radically, completely, and totally change your life if you'll just take that and apply it to your right, to your life, right? So, so they they teach this in, in, in football. When teams don't execute properly, what do they do? I just said it a while ago. They go back to the basics. They go back to the fundamentals. 
If you don't tackle well in this week's game, guess what we're going to work on this week? We're going to work on wrapping people up. The things you learn, even professionals do it. Big-time players, mature Christians sometimes have to go back to the fundamentals, have to go back to the basics. Are you following me? If Kansas City Chiefs don't tackle well one week, they'll go back and learn how to wrap people up, things they learned in Pop Warner when they were 10 and 12 years old. Are you following me? Sometimes we got to go back and get the basic things down and just bring them back to our remembrance. I'm not trying to beat anybody up today. We have to have things. There's nothing new in this Bible. I can't preach anything new to you. It's all been preached tens of thousands of times before. Are you following me? So sometimes we just got to go back and, and just remember where God's brought us from and remember what he expects of us and what he wants us to do with what he's given us. He's given us this measure of faith. What are we doing with it? So we need to get back to the fundamentals sometimes. Can I tell you this? Since we're talking about football a little bit, we're talking about execution of things. Can I tell you this? The church as a whole is not executing well. Now maybe there's a few people in each church that are executing well. Maybe you're living just the way you're supposed to be living. Well, good for you. I'm proud of you. But for the rest of us, we need a little help. So if we're not executing well, we need to get back to it. And, and, and how I can say this with confidence is that the church, or Christ's body is the church, right? We're talking about the people in here. We're not talking about the building. They call us Christ's body, the church, right? We're the church. We're not in the church. We bring the church. Can I tell you this? That God puts, it says that Jesus gave the fivefold ministry to the church for the edification of the church, for raising up the people, to bring them into righteousness. How many churches today do you see the fivefold ministry active in? including our own. Now, now God can use pastors to fill those positions in, but people should be stepping into those positions within four or five years, wouldn't you think? We're talking about years down the road now. So ask yourself this today. You all read that scripture, right? You know what I'm talking about? The fivefold ministry. Every healthy church must possess it, must have it. Did Jesus stop giving it? Did he just turn it off and say, y'all don't need that anymore? You're, you're past that. You're beyond all that. You don't need the fivefold ministry anymore. You're better than that. Did he say that? No. He's still giving it, so where's it at? That tells me that we must be sitting on it. People are sitting on their call. People are sitting on their jobs. Are you following? Back to the basics. And sometimes it's because we're not, we're not executing right. If we can't execute the fundamental things, we're not going to be, be able to operate in the fivefold ministry. Are you following me? Maybe there's a call on your life and you don't understand the whole thing yet because you haven't been seeking it out because you're afraid of it. You're worried about it. You just don't want to receive it sometimes. Are you following me? We all know what I'm talking about. God spoke to everyone in this room, I'm sure, before. And it's a scary thing sometimes to have the Almighty God say, you're going to do this. How do you think I felt when he told me you're going to preach? I was a drunk. You're going to preach me? What are you talking about? God could use anybody. We're getting ready to start a series on Wednesday nights that's going to cover this, and I'd like for y'all to be here if you can be here for that. So here's one thing. Here's what Jesus said about it. Matthew 22, 37, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, right? All your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That's pretty much everything, right? That's all of me, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with, with everything that you have. So ask yourself this today. Have you given him every aspect of your life? Does he have free reign to change anything he wants to in your life? Does he have free reign to change the music you listen to? Yes. Does he have free reign to change the friends you hang out with? Yes. Does he have free reign to, to hang out where you eat lunch at? What you put into your body? You give God. Does he have free reign to choose how you spend your time? How much time you spend with him? 
Have we given all these things to God? Think about it. Because there's areas that we need to clean up some. We all do. None of us are perfect. If you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong church. You're in the wrong place. You don't need to hear any preaching anymore if you've already arrived. Right? There's all places that we need to clean up. So if we haven't given God every aspect of our life, think about it. You all have some place in your mind that you're thinking of. Right now, probably, this is the part we've got to work on. This is what we're talking about today. These basic fundamental things. We've got to clean it up. If an NFL team can't tackle as great as they may be, they're not going to win many games. A basic fundamental thing. If the church can't do the basic fundamental things, the five-fold ministry is not going to operate in it. Are you following me? It's going to be harder for us to win many souls. These are your families I'm talking about. This is my families we're talking about. That's the ones we want to see saved first, right? That's the ones we want to take to heaven with us. If we're not operating in the fundamental things, how do I expect to win? Or how do we expect to win our brothers and sisters, our aunts and uncles, our co-workers, our children? Brittany and Brenda talk about this all the time. It would be a shame to help people out to make it to heaven and, and preach and spend how many ever years God gives us to be servants of His and lose one of our own children. Think about that. If we don't execute the basic fundamental things, we'll lose our own families. Some of them can feel some of us can feel them slipping right now. So we should be seeking God and the Holy Ghost, His Spirit. The Holy Ghost is God's Spirit. Right? We should be we should be speaking seeking God and His Spirit like our next breath depends on it, because it does. Our next breath, we're dependent on Him for everything, whether we like to believe it or not. We need to we need to we need to pull on Him for everything, though. Matthew, Jesus also said in two verses after the last verse I gave you about love the Lord your God. Matthew twenty two thirty nine says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." Now think about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's not just the ones you like. You may have a good neighbor on one side and a bad neighbor on the other side. Doesn't mean, well, I love this neighbor, so I'm in good shape, right? Some people are, are, are make themselves think they, they, they do things or they, they process things in certain ways or, or they act certain ways that make them easy for us to look down upon, right? This means yes. yes. It's getting quiet now. I know right, right where I need to be at. Okay? They make themselves easy for us to look down on. They make themselves easy for us to talk about. Especially that we're not Christians now and we're better than other people because we've been forgiven because God gave us a free gift so we feel entitled or we feel enabled like, like, like he enabled us to be better than someone. It happens from time to time. Not everybody does it, but it does happen. Are you following me? But can I tell you those people that you're looking down upon have value to God. Yeah. Everyone has value to God. Yeah. God don't make junk. That's right. Everybody's got value to God. Think about that next time you go to talk about somebody. Why do you think he says it's an abomination unto God to sow discord among the brethren? Right? Everybody has value to God. We may not understand it, but he does. He gets it. He knows what the, even if our kids are out messing up, are you following me? They still have value to me. Even when they're acting like knuckleheads and I just want to choke them, they still have value to me. They're still just it's the same with God, but his love is much greater than our love. Does that make sense? So, um, all 630 laws of the, the Bible had 630 laws in it, right? In the Old Testament. All 630 laws, Jesus said, hangs on these two commandments. Two commandments will sum up 630 laws. Wouldn't you say that that's basic then? Two verses 630? That's getting back to the basics right here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. If we can just live those two things right there down, we'd live up to all the law. 
But we're still talking about works, right? And we talked about last week, the law does not have the power to save you. No. Follow me? Yeah. It's through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you love your neighbor as yourself, you'd want to give them God, though, right? You'd want to give them God. You wouldn't have to have your pastor trying to shove you out and say, go there and talk to him about this. Go there and talk to him about that, right? You would want to give them God, right? You'd want to tell them about God. You'd want to tell them about salvation. You may say, I'm not a preacher. I've never been to seminary school. I haven't done this. I don't have a formal education. I don't even know that much about the Bible. You've been saved, haven't you? Do you know how that transformed your life when you got saved? You know your own story. That's what a testimony is. Tell them about what God's done for you, how God changed you, how God delivered you from addiction, whatever it may be, how God's changed your life and what he's taken out of your life and how much better your life is with him than it ever has been before. That's all you got to tell them about. You don't have to know any of the Bible to tell them that, right? A couple key verses you can take with you would be great, but, but pretty much you can just tell them your story and, and it causes people to hunger and thirst. He says we're going to be the salt and the light. That salt makes people thirsty. <laughs> If we're, if we're telling this, you can't only tell them that you got to live it in front of them also. they got to see a difference. they got to see that change in you. They don't want to see a devil standing in front of them. Tell them how good it is. Right? So when we're saved, we love God with everything, and, and we love our neighbor as ourselves. Right? That's, and we tell them about Jesus. That basically sums up what we do when we become Christians. Right? So 2 Peter 1, 1 through 10 says this. This is, a, this is what else we need to add to that. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle. This sounds like a lot of scripture, but we'll go through it real fast, and I'll give you about 25 definitions to copy down, and there'll be a test when the church is over today, okay? Are y'all ready for it? <clears throat> Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained, like precious, what? Faith. faith. How'd you obtain that faith? God gave it to us, right? God gave us that precious faith that we have with us by, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So his righteousness was placed onto us, right? Our sin was placed onto him when he died, and his righteousness was placed on us. And why? Grace, right? Unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. He just gave it to us. And then he gave us the faith to believe that he gave it to us. And two says this, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Who doesn't need more grace than peace? Amen. I could use some more grace than peace. Come on, three. And his divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through, hold on to this one right here real quick, sis, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Now think about this right here. It says pertaining to life and godliness. What's the opposite of life and godliness, right? What is it? Be death. And sin, right? So you got life and godliness is the choice we have to make. We have life and godliness on one side, and we have death and sin on the other side. Are you following me? Now we're going to come back to this. I just want to point that out to you. Because 5 talks about it again. And 4 says, By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. What are great and precious promises he's given us? Think about this. Our supply. He's promised us over 3,300 promises in his book, right? He's promised to supply all of our needs to get us through from now to the end of our life. And our children's and our children's and our children's children, right? Our, our great, great, great grandchildren. As many as God shall call. As many as generations as, as we had before Jesus steps out of the cloud, right? But we have to receive these promises. How? Oh, come on. How do you receive your promises? Faith. By faith. How did you get your faith? God gave it to you. So he deposited all this stuff in the bank. Nothing's ever going to surprise God. You follow me? Nothing's going to happen tomorrow or next week or next year that he doesn't already know about. So he's deposited all these promises into the bank for you, right? The bank of faith. 
And then they give you your faith debit card, Brother Stephen, that all you got to do is go over and plug it in, and it belongs to you already. Y'all should be saying hallelujah. He gave us everything we're ever going to need, and then he gave us the means to go pick it up. Does that make sense to you? So, Joe depends on us for things to happen in our, in our life, right? She's four. She, she just has faith that when she goes over the switch, it's going to flip on. And if it doesn't flip on, she walks on and doesn't even worry about it. She doesn't try to figure it out. She just knows that that will change the light bulb, and the next time she comes back, it'll be on anyway. Are you following me? Yeah. That's the childlike faith I'm talking about. We've got to receive those promises with childlike faith. Receiving great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That's that, that's that death and sin, right? <clears throat> Come on, sis. But also for this very reason, what very reason? We're back to three, right? For life and godliness. Life and godliness. For this very reason, for life and godliness, giving all diligence... What's diligence there? Diligence means <laughs> speed, eagerness, or haste. Right? We're going to do this as fast as we can get it done. We're going to be eager. When you really want to get something done, you'll get it done, right? I don't know about you all, but last year I got a brand new engine for my car. I got interior parts. I had the whole dash tore out. It looked like a mouse had been in my dash. I took all the, all the wiring out and everything, and I put that car back together myself in a week. Because I was eager. I wanted to drive that thing again. Yeah. Y'all follow what I'm talking about, right? All of y'all have a hobby that, or, or something that if you're eager to get it done, you'll stay after that thing and you'll be diligent toward that thing until you get it. Add to your faith. Where'd you get your faith at? God. God gave your faith. Add to your faith virtue. What's virtue mean? Moral excellence, right? Moral excellence. You weren't morally excellent before you came to God, right? right. None of us were. And you won't be morally excellent if, if you don't listen to God. <coughs> right? We've got to listen to God. We've got to apply it for life. So add to your faith moral excellence. And to your moral excellence, knowledge. And that word knowledge right there means knowing, right? So when you read how to get knowledge from God, you either read the Word of God, right? Or you hear from the Spirit. So when you're reading the Word of God, it's instruction. It's only instruction, though. It's head knowledge, right? But when you apply it to your life, that word becomes virtue. Right? The Bible will tell us how to act, where to go, who to, how to hang out with, how to, how, to, how to apply ourselves. So add to that knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And self-control there in the King James uses the word temperance or it means self-control. So we have to control ourselves. And to self-control, perseverance. Perseverance right there means patience. That's a rough one right there, right, babe? Patience. <laughs> and, and to patience or perseverance... Godliness. Godliness means, godliness means reverence, respect. I'm trying to speed through these because we're getting short on time. Godliness means reverence, respect, or piety toward God. Do we reverence and respect God? Do we reverence and respect God's house? Do we reverence and respect the man of God? Do we reverence and respect the word of God? Now ask yourself this. Are we teaching our children to do those things? It's just things we've got to add to our faith. He gives us the faith, but then he tells us to work hard on adding all the rest of these things that he's telling us to add to this. And we have to do this through him. We have to do this through taking the word and applying it to our lives. And seven says this. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And brotherly kindness there means the love of your brothers and sisters. And to brotherly kindness, love. And that word love right there in the King James uses char means charity. 
Charity. Now think about this right here. Charity means brotherly love, affection, goodwill, and here's the part that got me specifically plural. It says a love feast. This is, this is from the Greek. It's from the concordance, right? A love feast. Specifically plural. So it's not saying to love one time. It's not saying to love just the people you like. In fact, God says to love the ones who hate you. Are you following me? He says you heap coals. So we should just be walking around loving on everybody all the time. Right? I'm talking about in a healthy way. We should be loving on everybody all the time, right? So in verse 8 says this. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word barren there means lazy. You'll, you won't be lazy, but you'll be, you'll be, what was the word we used earlier? Eager. You'll be eager to do these things. So instead, if these things are in you, you, you won't be lazy, but you'll be seeking out to do these things. And verse 9 says this. For he who lacks these things, let me get to my next page. He who lacks these things is, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he, has, or that he was cleansed from his old sins. Sometimes we forget about that, church. Sometimes we forget about just how good we have it right now and where we came from. I know it's easy for me to do. It seems like that I've been so separated from my Not that I'm looking down on anybody or judging anybody, but I get so separated from my old sin that I forget that's who I was. I forget that's where I came from, and then I, I don't associate or I don't relate well maybe to other people who are coming from that area, as I could when I, when I first became a Christian. Are you following me? Does that make sense? <clears throat> I'm probably not the only one that feels that way, I don't think. Okay, and 10 says this. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. There's the word I was looking for. Diligent to make your call and election sure. You make your call. What do you call to do? What do you call to do? There's people who are called into the ministry, the five-fold ministry. You may not be called a pastor, but you're called into the five-fold ministry, your, your election. You've been called for certain to be a Christian, haven't you? Because he gave you the measure of faith. So if we're making these things sure, what's that word sure right there mean? It means stable. This is all the Greek. Stable, fast, firm, right? And it goes on to say, for if you are stable, fast, or firm, if you make your call stable, fast, or firm, through being diligent to add these other things to your salvation that he's already given you, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Never stumble. Right there, and that word stumble means to fall in the King James. So if we do these things, we won't fall. You won't be the... You're really quiet today, I'm warning you. <laughs> you may not be the next one to stumble or fall or the next one out the door. Are you following me? We have to be diligent in doing these things. We, the church, are not thriving because we're not diligent. Right? Diligent means speed, eagerness, zeal, haste. Remember how zealous you were when you first got saved? This means yes. I would have got an amen when you first got saved. Yeah. Hallelujah. Amen. You, were, you, you, you were zealous. You, I was ready to charge Hell's Gates with a water pistol. I've said this before. I was excited about it. I wanted to tell everybody about it. I'd tell people at the drive-thru. I had a guy drop my, my sack full of food at Burger King one time because I invited him to church and he gave me an excuse and, and I came back with, with something else to, to get, try to get him to church and tell him about Jesus. Are you following me? I was zealous about it. Zip. We were all that way. Once upon a time. But we're, we, we lose our diligence sometimes. Proverbs 27, 17. And I think this might be my last scripture. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. As I'm talking about the people you hang out with. Countenance means personality or character. 
the people that you hang out with will affect your character. They will affect who you are. Brother Darren said it uh, Friday night here. He said, show me your friends and I'll show you who you're going to become. Because that iron sharpens the iron. The people that, so we have to give God control of who we hang out with. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, bad company corrupts good morals, right? What was the first thing he told us to add to our faith that he gave us? Think about it. Virtue. Add to your faith virtue. What is Virtue. Moral excellence, right? So if bad company corrupts your moral excellence, wouldn't you say that the people you hang out with are directly going to affect whether you can add virtue to the faith that God's already given you? Most of the church, though, most of the church have no staying power, right? We, We make commitments to God, and then we break them. And then we fall out for a while. Then we come back, we come back into church when times get hard, or, or we feel, we feel whatever it is, and then we come back in, we'll make a new commitment, and then we fall out again for a while. Does that make sense to you? We have no staying power, physically or spiritually. I'm not talking about this. It's not just in the church, it's in the world also. If you think I'm lying, look at the divorce rate today. Look at the rate of people who, who turn on their own kids. Are you following? Yes. Look what's going on with that right there. And tell me they have they have staying power. It's both physically and it's spiritually. And they're both caused from a lack of virtue. That moral excellence. If you had moral excellence, we'd have we'd have both those situations covered. Does that make sense to you? Yes. It's just because our morals are when it's out. They're, they're out. They're out the window. So we need to realize when we sit underneath the pastor, it's not just to learn with my head. Because that's what we do so many times. We come into church, we learn the scriptures, we learn, we even memorize some of the verses sometimes. We, we do these things, but we learn with our head. But, but more importantly, it's great to learn with your head. You should learn with your head. But more importantly, you have to learn with your heart. Because when you learn God's word with your heart, when you learn what you're being taught, with your, I'm talking about a relationship. You have to get into a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have to maintain that relationship. You've got to work on that relationship diligently all the time, right? If not, when you sit under, when you get heart knowledge also, when you learn with your heart, you'll see change in your life, right? When you're doing the word, you're taking the word of God and apply it to your life, you'll see these things, right? So if not, when you just learn with your head, you know what happens to churches today that I see? When you just learn, when we, not you, when we just learn with our head, we have head knowledge. When a pastor retires, when a pastor messes up and falls down, when a pastor leaves the church, however that may happen, guess what happens? Y'all seen it, right? The church falls apart, right? But now think about this. If everyone in here, I'm not saying I'm going anywhere, this is not what I'm saying by this, but if this would be a good reflection of a pastor that he did his job well. If everyone was in this church, if we were, and we were one body, so we're all in here and we're involved, and everything's happening, and, and, and the fivefold ministry is working in this church, and something happens that I die or I retire or whatever happens with me, if the church would stay together and intact, that's how this thing's supposed to work. If we all had a heart knowledge where we'd have a life change, does that make sense to you? If you'd had a life change, then the church would just continue to operate because you're the body of Christ. You're not just a group of people that come together in a building, but you're the body of Christ. But so many times what happens is the church comes in and they get involved in following a man. They get involved in learning a bunch of head knowledge. And then when the man falls and the man leaves, the church falters. That's not how it's supposed to be, church. If there was a five-fold ministry inside that church operating, it would be a powerhouse. It would still draw the people. Everybody can still, 
I'm nobody. I'm just the, I'm just the, just the shepherd, just, just to feed you. That's all I'm here for, to give your word. Does that make sense? So most of them will fall away or go somewhere else. So, so we can learn with the head knowledge. We've been here for four years, right? But it doesn't do us any good unless we see people change, unless you have a, a heart knowledge. If you have a heart knowledge, that's where you change at. So I'm going to recap right here and clean this up a little bit, I think. So my wife gives me an acronym all the time. She says it's KISS. It's supposed to mean keep it simple, stupid. Right? Keep it simple, sweetie. But she says keep it simple, sweetie. She wrote to me. So I'm going to go with that one. So, so boy, it all boils down to this. God loves you, and he wants to be in a relationship with you, right? He wants to have a relationship with us. And he's done everything in his power to have this relationship with you. And he's provided everything you're ever going to need. He put you in, in front of his own son, even. He sent his, his son to be tortured and die on a cross. That's how much he loves us. He put his son out there to sacrifice him to try to, to try to foster this relationship back with us, to salvage this relationship with you. He didn't, he didn't even cause the split up. It wasn't even his fault that it happened. It was our fault that it happened. Yet he's still trying to reconcile with us, right? And it's because he loves you so much. God loves us so much, he sent his only begotten son, right? John 3, 16. Because he loves us so much, this salvation that I'm talking about here, this reconciliation with God, is free. All you got to do is receive it. He even gives you the faith to be able to receive it. And then he lays everything out in front of you you're ever going to need, and he gives you the faith to receive that too. Amen. He cares that much for us, that he takes care of us. God freely gave, and he freely gives salvation by grace through faith. You might head down and get the kids. By grace through faith. We must, though, diligently add to all that he's given us. We have to add virtue, right? Moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, patience, reverence, or respect for God, right? And love. Most importantly, love. We've got to learn to love on one another. Bond this body of Christ together in an atmosphere thick with love. That's what he wants us to have, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And love who? Your neighbor. Look at the person sitting next to you. They're your neighbor. The person sitting behind you, they're your neighbor. Love them as yourself. Love them as yourself. And then... It's not difficult, though. It's not difficult to move to the next level. We, we want to make this thing so difficult sometimes, but all we really have to do is press into him, right? James 4 and 8 says this, draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to you. It all boils down to that, a relationship. When you first met your wife, Brother Stephen, how long did y'all talk on the phone? A lot, right? <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about, even some of you older Christians. You know what I'm talking about. When you first met your spouse or someone that you're really interested in, you talked all the time. You were drawing nigh to them. And they were drawing nigh to you. Are you following me? But as the relationship gets older, sometimes you may not talk so much. You may get complacent. Same thing happens with Jesus. Same things happen. But we've got to execute those basic fundamentals. We've got to check ourselves on this today. We could go ahead and close the prayer. If this message spoke to you today, I hope that you get it right with God. Whatever it is that you need to do today, Ask him for forgiveness. It's that simple to be saved. Ask him for forgiveness. But get it right with God before you leave here today. If you need to make a new commitment, do that today. Make every effort to keep that commitment. 
Father, we thank you for this day, Daddy. We praise you, Father. We, we just magnify your name, Father. Lord, I pray that you would touch these people here today, Lord, and just cause your word to sink into our hearts. Touch me today, Lord. Cause your word to sink into our hearts, Father God, and cause us to become more mature, experienced Christians, Lord. Lord, to look more like you, Lord. And when we get into a slump or a slumber, Father God, remember to call on our basics, Father God. The basic things, Lord, that you call us to do, Father. We thank you for this, Daddy. We praise you for this, Lord. I pray that you would protect us. And guide us and lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray these things, Father. Amen. If you would, hold on one second. We're going to bed